he should be. You know, yes. and I, I was very lucky to know him, and yes. I absolutely treasure everything that he, he taught me. Really, I knew him in the last, I would say, 10, 15 years of his life. Yes. And um, he's a very, very wise man. It's incredible because you know, when we hear about him, and we know, of course, about the, uh, you know, we know about him because of the Museum of Witchcraft and all of the, the other things that he did, but it's it's incredible to, to meet somebody that actually was in contact with, uh, um, with, uh, with Cecil Williamson. Um, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking with Lavana Morgan, um, the author of A Witch's Mirror, The Art of Making Magic, and uh, hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about Cecil Williamson, which was one of your teachers, and you said that you met him for the last 10 to 15 years of his life. What was the most important thing that you think that he actually taught you that you would single out? I know that it's very difficult to do, but... <laughs> well, I think what I would single out is that um, Cecil was the best worker with spirits that I've ever come across that, and he had something that he called learning to speak the language of silence mm -hmm. um, and a way of communicating with spirits very, very powerfully and very quietly um, alone at night in one's working places, often out in the, uh, the woods and the moors of um, the southwest of England where he lived and where I live. And I would single that out as the most important thing that he taught me because I think it's at the heart of true witchcraft. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we're going to talk a little bit about about this, the spirits and you know spirit jars, mm -hmm. spirit houses. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're going to talk about all of this. Um, a witch's mirror, the art of making magic. I noticed that you didn't use uh, the customary magic as M A G, -G I C K, which is you know normally people say that because you know. It comes from Crowley, and mm -hmm. it's distinguishing magic from stage magic, etc. Why did you use magic well, without I, a K? I think in, um, in Britain, um, when you spell magic with a CK, mm -hmm. it tends to refer a bit specifically to the kind of ritual magic as practiced by Crowley and his many admirable descendants. Mm -hmm. And it's not used quite so much in relation to traditional witchcraft, which is what I'm really interested in. Mm -hmm. So it has that um, magic without the K, has that other connotation here, here in the UK. So I kind of stuck with what I know. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Lee Noble. How wonderful are, are the illustrations? Are there amazing illustrations in this yes, book? Yes, he's a, he's a tremendous artist. He's a tremendous Ooh. magical artist, and I was very, very lucky. To have him collaborate with yeah, me. Very, very beautiful. I mean, really. Thank you. I'm sure he'd be thrilled oh. to know that. Oh, yes. <laughs> and we love it. And, and we have to thank Apple Band Publishing mm -hmm. because they are very, very generous to send us the review copies. Um, thank you so much, John and uh, Julia and yeah. uh, all of those um, generous uh, people that, uh, you know, um, sent us the copies and all of that. Yeah. Very beautiful and book. It's, oh, and sorry. you know they've been going for 20 years now. Yes, year. I know. They just, and the, the, yeah. the, you know, the job they've done for witchcraft and paganism in that time, the breadth of the range of writers they've published is absolutely phenomenal. They're, they're great people yes, and, yes. and delightful to work with, I have to say. We will have them both in, mm. in the show to talk about Scapelban and its mm. history. It's very, very nice. So, a little book, as you say, 
Very interesting. You say little book, but um, of little has nothing but the size because it is really a very, very powerful book. It has very, very good and wonderful advice for every practitioner of of, um, of magic, not only traditional witchcraft, but um, other other paths also. Now, one of the things that I really like about about this book is that you you do say, please try this at home. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I mean. My uh, my form of witchcraft is nothing if not experiential, and I really want people to go out and try the things in this book, but not only that, but to use it as a source of inspiration, I hope, for making their own ways of making things and doing things, because I think some of the, the best and the deepest magic is intensely practical. We We tend to be... I think a little bit wordy about our magic, and we think if we're saying things, it must be right. Um, but I'm much more about doing things, mm-hmm. and I hope that that comes across. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, you know, getting away from uh, a little bit of uh, of the teachings, and of course, you know, teachings are very important. Mm-hmm. How important it is to to work with your own intuition and to to know the right way in the right time and when things arrive, you know, th- when necessity arises, h- how much intuitive um, decisions and spell making goes into things without even knowing what to do. You just come up with the ingredients yeah. and you know exactly what it is and you know how yeah. to put things how much of this is part of traditional witchcraft and what you do well in terms of what i do it's it's a huge part of what i do and it is about intuition but i would say that that guy that intuition is guided all the time by working with spirits um you know one can decide to do something i've met to work, work a spell to make an object produce a charm and I always ask the spirits before I do it, and that's that's what gives me the confidence. That's what makes me know I'm on the right track. And I would commend that approach to your listeners. Really, um, it's always, always, always guided by spirits. So they do whisper in your ear. They do whisper in your ear, and they also show you things. Yes, yeah. Now that takes us to the familiar spirit. You bought once a knife. Um, oh, that yes. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is all Cecil Williamson too. Yes, yes. So you bought a knife, and uh, suddenly you thought, "Oh, I can't put this knife down. I have to take it with me, right?" And yes. and you took it with you to your house. You know, put it gently on on the, on the table, um, and you heard this this noise, right? And and the knife was on the floor yes, on the other the, side of the in sp- the middle of the night. Yes. Can you can you continue this story for me? Yes, yes. It, it, it wasn't at all a knife that I wanted to buy, but when I picked it up, it got me. Um, there, there was no going back from that. So, yes, brought it home. Um, wanted to find out more about it, but I was quite I was quite in awe of it, quite nervous about it. So, I left it downstairs in my cottage. I went to bed, and then I heard this crash. It's about I suppose half past two in the morning, and I got up and went downstairs wondering what what was going on you know whether some interesting form of wildlife had got into the house which which does happen around here and no the 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 knife was not where i'd left it i'd left it uh, on the shelf and it was on the floor and on the other side of the room and i looked and uh, all the doors were closed there were no windows open there was nobody in the house there was no way it could have got there so uh, i thought aha it's trying to um 
it's trying to tell me, and I think it's trying to tell me that it's not happy. And um, this was some years ago now, and I consulted with Cecil about it. I said, what do I do? And he said, well, um, you, must, um, you must let this knife talk to you through its spirits and through the spirits that you commune with. So what I did was I, um, I put it um, under my pillow beside, my, by, beside me when I slept, and in a series of dreams, it let me know exactly its history, and its history was very, very unhappy. And Cecil and I talked a bit about this, and we decided that you know what it what it wanted to was to do was firstly tell its story, which it had begun to do, and then it wanted to be um, accepted and somehow made happy again. So I told it my spirit name, my witch name which is an important part in any exchange with a spirit or with something that has a, a, a spirit within it. And it told me its name, and it told me its whole history. And gradually we became very good friends, and it's now one of my most treasured working tools. Now, how, how, how important is this? I mean, what, uh, if, we don't do, if you don't do that, does the tool work? Or is it, is it about the tool working, or is it about the help of the spirit so that the tool will serve you? How, how does that relationship go? Well, I, I think in, in that specific case, it was quite clear, really, because um, from the moment when it threw itself onto the floor um, in, in a very, you know, dramatic bid to attract my attention, it was clear that there was a spirit already in it, and the task was to work with that spirit. Um, and if if you make your own witch's tools and um, say you um, go to the woods and you choose um, a tree and a piece of wood to make a wand or a staff with, there will already be a spirit there in the tree and you can invite that home to work with you. But the process of, in all cases, the process of either contacting the spirit or inviting the spirit in is absolutely crucial to the working you probably gathered from the book that I do encourage people very strongly to make their own working tools rather than buying them mm-hmm. because if you do that um, you you will imbue the thing with your own energy and make a terrific contact with the spirit that's in it or if you feel it has no spirit and it depends what it is but spirit that you want to invite into it mm-hmm. and there's a power about that that's I really don't think it's there if you just buy something that somebody has made. I mean, beautiful and, uh, and lovely in ceremonies, those, those, those things are, you know. Yeah, yeah. I would always go for the, um, the making your own approach because of that very direct contact that you can have with the spirits. Yes, yeah, yeah. Now, the, the, one of the things that I found it very interesting is, is, is this exchange of name, which is, you know, if you want to have a friend, you have to tell your name, right? Exactly. Um, <laughs> you know, that's to me. But then, um, you know, talking about spirits, and you talked about something that is very interesting, which is pixie-led. Um, oh, yes. Which, which it, you know, happens everywhere. Yes. There is always some kind of spirit that will do this, that will actually be, um, uh, you know, either be in, in, in Portugal, Spain, wherever you go, there is oh, always yes. um, a, a, some kind of pixie 
going on. Yeah, activity. Of the land. That's right. And, yes. uh, you know, the Romans knew that also because they were very yes. respectful. Uh, and you can see little little stones here and there in very local, you know, lo oh, yes. local villages and and they say actually you know the you know jenny Lokai and things like that so that mm -hmm. they would they would pay homage to the spirit of the land yeah. because that's you know, they knew what they were doing um but um you you got lost where you are uh you got yes. lost because they yes. do they do and that is another teacher that he had this is, is yes this is a, this is an occasion you are referring to when I was out on Dartmoor. I don't know how how you know well the people uh, listening to us will know, but Dartmoor is a very wild moorland area in Devon, in the southwest of England. It's um, land that's been over the centuries largely left to its own devices, apart from you know, quite low-level farming and, and um, in in some places a bit of mining. And I think mm -hmm. that places like that um, have uh, spirits in them which are extremely powerful. And of course, the place belongs to them. It doesn't belong to you. If you go there, you're you're encroaching on their territory, and you have to treat them with respect. You know, just as I would expect you to treat my house with respect yes. if you walked into it. And so, yes, we were. They, they, it was Harrowood, uh, uh, myself, and um, members of Harrowood's Coven, and we were going to a place called Scorrel Stone Circle. It's an old um, Stone Age circle on the northern part of Dartmoor. And we used to go there to work quite a lot. Incidentally, there's the most marvellous um, initiation place uh, there called the Tolman, which is a whole stone, a stone, a huge gla glacial boulder built into the side of a riverbank with a big hole in it. It's about 10 feet tall, and it's an old Devon initiation rite that you have to climb three times through this stone it's quite a perilous business so it is one of our favorite working places we knew it very well we went there all the time and we walked uh, over the brow of a broad hill to the stone circle we did the work that we wanted to do and then we came to go back and we knew the way back really really well it was very really straightforward it was a path straight over the hill um, back to where we'd set out from but we couldn't find it and everything was sort of disappearing into um, a funny haze. It wasn't it wasn't a fog, you know. Fogs um, and mists come down there quite easily, as you can imagine. But it was just that we couldn't see anything. And uh, Harrowood, who, who who knew these ways really well, said, "I know what's happening. We're being pixie led." And pixie led is the Devon word for being led astray and messed about with, played games with by the local spirits. And there's a time-honoured remedy for this, which is um, mentioned in a, a lot of the uh, accounts of Devon folklore and, and what the cunning men and women did. And he said, well, it's really simple. What we have to do is stop and turn our clothes inside out. And I commend this to you. So we stopped. We um, took off our coats, turned them inside out, put them on again, and said thank you to the pixies. And there was the path in front of us. <laughs> just where it should have been in the first place. We were able to walk straight back. And so, you know, a very good good lesson in honouring and respecting the spirits. And, and, you know, there's another idea around here, which I'm sure there is where you are, that there are some places where the spirits really don't want you to go. And if they don't want you to go, you don't get silly or foolhardy about it. You just do what they want. You go somewhere else. 
That's right. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now you you said also you know you can you can have uh, uh, little guys with red hood uh, you know hoods and, and, and <laughs> in your garden in your garden, but when you find one in the wild, you know. <laughs> absolutely, they're not the same thing. I mean, our yeah. poor old pixies, you know, have been somewhat traduced by popular culture, so. There are places that are called pixie sanctuaries for tourists to go to, you know, where you can buy a little model one or one to put in your garden and they're very jolly little chaps with <laughs> red hats and green coats and nice little beards and maybe fishing rods or something. But, you know, that, that, that's a, um, a sweet little um, fairy tale version of what they really are. They're extremely um, strong-willed spirit people in their own place and they live by their own rules not yours and if you're going to work there you better learn what their rules are and 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 go with them too mm -hmm, mm -hmm. otherwise being pixie led will probably be the least of your troubles <laughs> <laughs> they have a very strong tradition of helping people who help them oh yes um, but yeah, they yeah, also yeah. there are also plenty of records of them really um upsetting, discombobulating, and generally doing damage to people who don't offer them respect. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Levina Morgan, we're talking with uh, Levina Morgan, um, the author of A Witch's Mirror, The Art of Making Magic. Little book, she says, but um, I, think, <laughs> I, think, book. I think it is a big book. <laughs> well, um, you can get it in your pocket quite easily. Yes, it's true, it's true, but yeah. it's really quite not the size, is it? <laughs> it's the contents <laughs> that matter. Now, uh, we talk about spirits, how important is spirits in this tradition and, and, and what you do, um, not only... You know, you say that there is spirits everywhere, everything has spirits, um, including your tools, you know, uh, mm. objects have uh, these these spirits, and then we talked about pixies and all of that. Now, um, it, it's, it's quite interesting, because, you know, you talk about also, um, and this, you said, you know, uh, Cecil Williamson actually taught you um, working with spirits and all of that. This goes everywhere. This goes into scrying, for instance, and you yes. talk about that, and yes. you talk about summoning spirits into a mirror. Um, so there is a very strong connection between, you know, why do you think that people are people, do you really think, I mean, what is your opinion about this in, in terms of what other people are doing. I mean, are they? Why aren't they actually doing this true contact, and 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 you know connection between them and the spirits? Are they afraid? Do you think that people are afraid of of this contact? Uh, I think a lot of people are mm, um, mm. quite afraid of it. But mm. I have to say, I think it's um, becoming more widespread now. Uh, I also think that uh, a lot of people from then, I suppose, the nineteen sixties onwards. Um, who learnt about and practised Wicca didn't include it within what they did, which is quite crazy because it actually is um, a part, you know, if you meet people who practise Wicca very deeply, it absolutely is a part of um, what they do, but I think it somehow got edited out mm -hmm, of, mm -hmm. of, of that version of witchcraft a little bit and now we've seen over the last 10 years or so, through all sorts of people's very good work. I mean, I'd, I'd mentioned Steve Patterson and, and Gemma Gary, 
particularly, yes. and the wonderful Mike Howard, who, who edits the Cauldron magazine. Yes. The, the knowledge of this is becoming more widespread. I think a lot of people didn't, simply didn't know about it. Yeah. I think some people are afraid to do it. And to be sure, you, you have to learn how to do it properly. You don't just kind of rush into it um, without learning what you're doing and taking obvious precautions. Um, but I think the, 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 it is becoming more widespread. But I think there's also a strand of people who kind of aren't interested in it. You know, they just want to worship pagan gods. And that's all very well and good. And, and, and I'm glad they do it. And, and you know, it, it's a it's very, uh, very happy and fulfilling thing for them to do. But it, it, it's not, um, to me, it's not the, sort of the, the, the deepest and most practical form of witchcraft. Which is um, you, what you are interested in, really. I it mean, is what I'm interested yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, mm. it's, it's, um, it's, I think that working with spirits, is, if you look at all the witchcraft traditions all over the world and you know, all the other um, traditional practices and um, African and diaspora traditional uh, witchcraft, um, Native American practices, it tends to be at the heart of traditional spiritualities, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I think that our, our form of witchcraft uh, it has that in common with all those things, although it's expressed very differently sometimes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now we talked about spirits all the way, and and this is you know for listeners you know this is this is really a commonality um, that go really across the board on this practice, and it's just you know you can you you can talk about divination, you can talk about um, you know objects and uh, tools, and it, there is always a spirit there. Now the other thing that I'm really interested to talk to you about is the Devon spirit jar which is basically <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's very it's very interesting because it is and then again Cecil Williamson comes here um you know as your teacher and and taught to you about um about this um what really is a spirit jar and why do we do one okay and and just also to say that if you are fortunate enough to be able to visit the Museum of Witchcraft at Boss Castle in Cornwall, you can see Cecil's beautiful spirit jar there. Mm -hmm. and, and as I think as most, I think almost all of their collection is viewable online. You can also um, go on their website and, and look at it there. And, you know, they, they, they are a tremendous place and, and really anyone who's interested in this should, get, should go and have a look, either at the website or in person. So, a spirit jar. Now, um, most for most people their home is, is the center of their magic um yes we work outdoors but an awful lot of what we do we do in our homes and so um you want to um be uh, have places in your home where you can be in regular contact with the spirits and the idea of a spirit jar is that it's a place um where the spirits that you like to work with and that, um the spirits that protect your home can rest. Um, somebody said to me, um, yes, but are they trapped in there if you make it? Well, obviously not, because uh, <laughs> that would be a terrible... That, firstly, that would be a terrible thing to do, and then secondly, I think the kind of spirits I'm working with would, could not be bound by a glass jar. But the idea, as of how you make one, is that you take a large glass jar, it can be anything. Um, I, I used... Um, an old um, jar, big jar from a sweet shop, um, I, I guess dating back to about the 1920s, but it can be anything. 
and you make sure it's very nice and clean and dry and it needs to have a lid so you can seal it up and then basically what you do is you put into it things that the spirits will like um, that will mm -hmm. attract them to the jar um, so um, what Cecil did, what he taught me was that um, the spirits would like things like small seashells, white pebbles, ears of dried corn, bits of red thread, a couple of small bits of mirror, um, nice things like that. Nothing that um, will decay or rot, um, just things that are nicely dried, maybe a few herbs. And you fill the jar um, probably about between, oh, I would have said, an eighth and a sixth mm -hmm. of its level with those things. And you also use your own intuition and be guided a bit. So you put into it things that you think are important. And so you, you put this stuff in the jar and then you, um, you seal the jar and you invite the spirits to come and rest in there and work with you. And you, uh, you regularly acknowledge the jar. I say good morning to mine every day, to the spirits in there. You keep it in a nice place. This is not something that you have to hide away. But mm -hmm. also, I think you probably don't don't put it on the mantelpiece and proudly show it off to, you know, the man who comes to read your electricity yes. meter or anything yes. like that. Yes. But, <laughs> but you don't hide it away. You give it a nice place where it feels cherished, and you keep it very clean, and you look after it. And um, and there you are. You know that that's a spirit jar. And I've noticed it's not just a spirit jar alone, but that people who come to my house who don't know anything about witchcraft and don't know that I do it say, your house has a nice, warm, positive feeling. And I just think, yes, aha, well, of course it has. Because mm -hmm. here are these lovely spirits in this jar and in other places looking after me. <laughs> and it's a wonderful thing to make. And, and um, yeah, you know, please try this. Yes, yes. Please do it at home. Please, um, <laughs> absolutely do it at home. <laughs> and the book will tell you how to do it very, very detailed. The um, book will tell you how yes, to do it. But, you know, as with everything, I suppose mm. my, my, my book is quite like a recipe book. It is, it is. You know, and yeah. with all good recipe books, you know how it works. You try something and you make it exactly as the, the writer says. And you think, oh, I like that. And then you think, well, what would happen if I just added a little bit more of this spice, you know, or something? And you start to experiment. So I really hope people will use it like that. And yes, yes. they'll kind of follow the general guidelines I've yes. laid down, but their, yes. you know, their own creativity and intuition will come into play as well. Yes. well and then that way they will make lovely you, discoveries, really. You, you want to inspire, right? That's yes, exactly. That's right. yeah. 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 I don't want to dictate. Yes, <laughs> yes that's true. That's true. Now, I have read a lot of recipes for the witch's bottles and I'm yes. guessing that this would change uh, depending on the place that you're finding one um, some of them are made of um, I, I've heard them made of uh, glass I've heard them made of clay I mean there's yeah. all sorts of things um, what you know and you know uh, again the the, the book um, uh, which is mirror um, the art of making magic will tell you how to do a little bit of history of it, and then it, it will, will tell you, yes. It will. But what is the mechanics in here? I mean, what is happening on okay. a witch's bottle? Well, there are, there are a couple of different kinds which I write about, right? Mm -hmm. Now, historically, we know, because there are lots and lots of accounts of them and lots of them have been found, what they were used to do was to lift the effects of bad magic. So if you went 
you know, I'm I'm sure the same in the US. You know, if in this country in the 18th or 19th century, you felt you were being bewitched, uh, something was wrong, or there was an illness that wouldn't go away. You know, all those classic things where you, you felt you were under the influence of malign magic, your local cunning man or woman would tell you um, to make a witch bottle to get rid of it. And historically, they were they were quite specific. You um, put lots of sharp metal objects, nails, pins, needles um, in a bottle, in a glass bottle, or a, or a clay bottle. They, they they used both. I think I think to be honest, in, in former times, people used whatever they had to hand. You know. Yes. And um, you um, filled the bottle up with your own urine, and then you put it in your chimney place, near, as near your fire as you could put it without it breaking. And the idea historically is there was that as it heated up, um, the, uh, uh, it would cause pain to the person who'd done the bewitching, and they would lift their, their, their curse, their magic. <laughs> so that's very specific, isn't it? <laughs> it is. And um, it is. you can yeah. still do that if you, mm-hmm. if you mm-hmm. feel so afflicted. But mainly, I've talked about using witch bottles for, um, for protection yes. and yeah. to attract good things mm-hmm. um, and so the witch bottle for protection is a bit like the uh, witch bottle for getting rid of bad magic with a few significant differences um, I tend to I put pins in there lots of pins some salt and um, uh, whichever herbs I think I want to use at the time rosemary is a particular favourite in, in, in this connection and uh, for protection, I don't fill it up with urine. I fill it up with red wine or red wine vinegar. And then that goes in a very quiet, secret place um, where people won't see it mm-hmm. and works its magic very quietly. Um, if you have um, an open fire in a chimney place, hiding it away in the chimney is a really good place to put it, mm-hmm. bearing in mind that traditionally the chimney is the place where spirits come into the home and, and go out again if you haven't got a chimney you can put it in the cupboard under the sink um, or um, under the stairs but it's just generally somewhere where not just people coming into the house but you are going to forget about it mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so you mm-hmm. take no notice of it whatsoever once it's been put there and, and set in motion as it were and you, if you move house you never take it with you because you can make another one Mm-hmm. You know, wherever mm-hmm. you're going to, you mm-hmm. must leave it where mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's a variation of witch bottles for protection. But you can also, I've made them for health and prosperity. And in that case, there's actually no liquid in the bottle. What I do is pins, I like the pins and salt, put in layers, alternated with herbs and various other plant materials, all dried so that they don't rot. So, um, if I was making one for someone who um, had been really unwell and their house didn't feel good and they just generally wanted uh, a bit more nice, hot, positive energy in their life, I, I would do the pins and the salt and then I would put lovely bright red things like chilies and marigold petals and red rose petals all in layers, a bit like one of those old-fashioned um, bottles of different coloured sand. Yes, Stopper it yes. up tightly, seal it with, with nice red wax, and there you go. Very good. And, 
you can adapt this obviously to your own purposes of course of course and now you can still, you can still <coughs> pee in a bottle if you feel yes. so inclined <laughs> pee in a bottle and you know it's yes. just uh, now the other thing that it's very interesting that you're saying that uh, um you know near the fire because i knew one very old spell that was to know who is gossiping you know and ah, you would yeah. throw you would throw red um it would be red dust made of anything it doesn't matter what it is mm. if, if it is a plant that it's red whatever it is you know you just it's you just macerate it into a, a, a dust and you throw it into your fire yeah uh, either the hearth or whatever it is and you ask the question who is saying this about me and next morning or next day or in a couple of few days you will come across the person and the person will have red spots in their skin you and you know oh yeah and you oh, will yeah. know <laughs> so it is you huh who works yes. <laughs> yes so that was one of the the only things that i know about you know close to fire or fire um there's a lot of there stuff. are a huge number of yeah. um traditional magics that involve working with the fire and if you think about it it's very logical because course, yeah. you know fire has been our companion since we first sort of became human hasn't it, it, yes, it, it yeah. the use of fire yes. as my friend Julian Vane always tells me that, that <laughs> it's one of the defining characteristics of, of being human and so we sat and gazed into fires and used them for divination and recognised them as places where we can talk to the spirit world for a very very long time yes. yeah, uh, yeah. and there is also this idea that um, the hearth the chimney is the place where spirits come into and leave the home. I think we see that, you know, in the old myths of um, Father Christmas, don't we? Some yes, stores, yes. there's a remnant of that. But if you look at the many of the en engravings of witches flying to the Sabbath, you know, from 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 the um, late medieval, early modern times, I'll show the witches flying at the chimney. Yes, yeah, yeah. That's so true. there's a lot That's of true. this. Yeah. Now, what what do you think that that um, you know we we see all of these things you know we know that artists are uh, sometimes you know inspired. Um, it's not that they have seen it, but they have either heard about it or mm -hmm. they have been inspired by you know divine powers or something, and um, you know and and then they will represent things. Uh, do you really th do you think that these depictions that we see sometimes in books of uh, you know um, here and there uh, of of the witches' sabbaths and and them flying through the air and all of that how is that how would that translate to practicality uh, on the practices that we know today or that we knew in the past? Okay. Um, That's a huge question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, do you mean, you know, do 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 we do flying, we think that flying. we float we flew yes. to the Sabbath? Yes, yeah. 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 I mean I I think there's there's um a lot of different thinking and mm. opinions about that. And interestingly, um there's quite a few um academic writers looking at this at the moment. And I think one of the quite persuasive arguments is that um these are descriptions of what we might call shamanic activities. Um, the idea of the spirit flight, the flying to join the spirits, is present in many traditions all over the world, in many shamanic traditions as well as witchcraft traditions. Mm -hmm. There's a, um, a wonderful writer called Emma Wilby who has written a huge, exhaustive book about the trial and confessions of Isabel Gaudi, and she's sort of noted down 
um, all the records about going to the Sabbath that she could find from everywhere. And she points out that most of them say quite specifically that the person left their body in bed at the time, or they left a broomstick in bed to be their body. And I kind of like the idea that uh, we went there in the spirit world, because that's what I do. You know, I travel in the spirit world, so I respond to that idea quite well. But I don't have the one answer. I don't think any of us ever will. <laughs> yes, that's true. Well, I was I was talking with uh, somebody in the other day, one of one of our guests, and and he actually mentioned a series that is now on television called Salem, and um, it's it's a TV series, and mm -hmm. and they based it in uh, the trials, of course, of. 90, you know, the 1692 yeah. in Salem, Massachusetts, the pioneers and everything and the Puritans, but um, it, it contains a lot of, of these ideas of the Sabbath mm -hmm. being in the spirit. You just go with your spirit. You just astral mm -hmm. travel, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I just wanted to know about, you know, what we thought about that. And, and that's, well, yeah. I, I think so. I mean, I can't know um, we can't, very well really. what, you yeah, know, what people yeah. did in the 16th and 17th century. Yeah. I, I know that I um, go in, in the flesh, in the person, as it were, um, to witch gatherings and coven meetings and the like, you know, quite normally without the, you know, the aid of anything more than my legs or a car if it's a long way. Mm -hmm. But I, <laughs> I, you know, I have no way of knowing exactly mm -hmm. yeah. um, what people were doing in, in the 16th and 17th century. But it's my best guess that it was spirit travel because yes. there are just so many accounts of it. Absolutely, yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Now, how, you know, I know that you live uh, in um, the uh, southwest of England. I know that's that you right. live in Devon, Cornwall. Um, but... How, you know, looking around of all of this, I mean, and and you wrote the book because you know, obviously, these are very important things to you, and you know that you know you need to to communicate this with people so that people can find it yeah. and then inspire them to actually do their own uh, magic. Um, but how disconnected are we? You know, from from all of this. I mean, I know that you live in the, in, you know, as you say, in the middle of nowhere, mm. um, <laughs> being somewhere, but. Uh, how do you, looking at all of these, and I'm sure that you look at other, you know, these neo-pagan movements, these, all of these gatherings and things like that, but how disconnected are we from nature? Because all of these things, sometimes they're held, you know, inside, indoors, you mm -hmm. know, cities and things like that. How, um, how would you compensate for that if you live in a city, for well, instance? You know, we live where we live, you know, and... Yes. Um, my my way is what I do, but I haven't got the right to tell anyone else if it's what they should do. And I know that it's just as possible to um, work this magic and work with the spirits in the middle of big cities because I know people who do it very, mm -hmm. very well. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I would never say to anyone, look, you have to move, um, move <laughs> and go, go and, and live in the countryside in order to do this work. You don't. Um, and all sorts of people practice all sorts of magic and I think the important thing is is to find out make contact with the spirits where you are and do it where you are um, whether that be I don't know you know in the middle of Bristol or London or San Francisco or um, whether it be in the kind of place where I live and I don't, don't touch you know I've described my practices because they're what I've done but I, I don't claim my way of being superior at all but I think on on one level you're right that um, 
a lot of people are incredibly disconnected from this world. But then if you're if you're a witch or you're learning about the craft or it's what you aspire to, then you've already said to the spirit world, haven't you, that you want that contact and that contact will come. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, (laughs) no, absolutely. No, you just Mm. have to, you just have to be aware, you know, Mm. consciousness of, of, of what you have around you. And, and, you know, sometimes you just, you don't see it because you're just so intertwined with all of this. You know, the other thing that... Well, I'll tell you as well that one mm. of the um, best witches I know and workers with spirits is an old lady in her late 80s and... She has not been able to leave one room because of health issues for the last 15 years. She never goes out. Uh, A lot of the time she has to stay in her bed. But she's the most phenomenal worker of magic. And so, you know, what does that tell us? It's you and what you do, not where you are. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, yeah. Now, you said also that um, now taking this into a location, seashore, is very yeah. much, you know, disregarded as mm. a magical place, and it is mm. a liminal, a liminal p- place, and and you know, and and you uh, d- talk about this very often because you know where you are. Also, you do work in or very very close to sea, um, and and of course this is part of your practice. Also, you talk about uh, objects and sacred things that you can actually. Uh, gather, you know, yeah. from from the beach and all, and all of that. If you would um, give us an example of something that you can actually gather, um, and and that would be used to one of the things that really comes to mind to me, it, it was this f- fantastic story that you you talked about the driftwood um, bull roar, yeah. um, or the spiritual caller. Um, yeah. I would like you to explain a little bit about yeah. how do you how do you well you can do it but how do you use it okay well um uh a bullroarer um i think i am i think i'm right in saying that was an african term for it though that may not i'm not entirely sure about that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or as i would call it more i suppose a spirit caller is a very flat thin um sort of oval shaped piece of wood maybe about six to eight inches long and it's um, it's very thin it, it, it's um, as, as thin as you can make it while it's still so solid really and it has a hole in one end to which you very securely attach a long cord um, about 12 feet long I use a, a, a leather thread and you have to tie it extremely securely otherwise serious injury could result <laughs> and you um, it's, it's used to um, sanctify an outdoor working space and call the spirits and you um, hold the cord, you hold the end of the cord in one hand, and then you hold it a bit further down in your other hand, so it's between your two hands, but the vast, le- the main length of it is, if you like, in the air, if that makes sense to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope it does as I'm speaking. And then you whirl it round your head, rapidly, and it will make a, a, a rather strange noise that's something like woof, 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 mm-hmm. as you do it. Mm-hmm. And that is what calls the spirits. You have to be very careful that the cord is tied securely. This is a health and safety warning. <laughs> and that there's no one who, who it might hit because it will do them really serious injury. And the, um, the one I write about in the book, um, I, I, if I made mine out of driftwood um, yes. collected on the seashore. And I use it at the seashore to call up spirits of the sea. 
it actually came from uh, quite unusually for me um, I didn't find it on the beaches where I live I was staying with some rich friends on the northeast coast of Scotland and that's where I found it and it's it's described here you can you know uh, and it, it's very interesting and you, you talk about also about shells and, and yes. sea glass and all of that um, mirrors Mirrors. This is this is a very ancient, right? Uh, reflecting yes. pools. I mean, still yes. water reflecting. We have a lot of things about mirrors that we transformed it into mirrors. Mm. But basically, the 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 first forms of this were actually wells or or pools of water, yeah. and you know, under the the night sky. Or, um, and then you talk about also invoking a spirit into the mirror to divine, which is sort of yes. a divination or to actually yeah. ask a question yeah. um, you have a whole section of the book called mirrors lights and reflections which is absolutely incredible it talks about you know um, the balls which is balls you know all of that um, and it, it's very interesting because you know in different places you say here the witch's ball is a large silvered reflected glass sphere mm. I've seen them also, and this is very interesting. I don't know if you came across with this. Um, I've seen them uh, made of boys, um, yes. right, from from the sea. Um, I have one of those. I'm you do? At it, okay. I'm talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, when, when I was a child, you know, back when dinosaurs walked the earth, they, you still found these things. And mm -hmm. I grew up by the sea in, in um, North Wales in a place called Anglesey, and my dad used to take me for lovely long walks along the beach usually ended up with him carrying me you know at the age of uh, I, I must have been five or six mm -hmm. when we found this one a dark green glass float and um that is it's a it's a great tradition in this country to use one of those as the witch's ball um yeah. you know that's yeah. a gift from the sea yeah. I, I think sadly now you know it's so long since they were used and they're such fragile things that think it would be highly unlikely to find one now i i um, asked i i actually sent it to um one that i had i had i had two and i sent mm. one to the museum of witchcraft actually so it's, oh, it's fantastic. From, from portugal directly <laughs> but it's it, i don't know if it is there or not but yeah. you know i i sent it um mm. so very 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 beautiful book small book but with precious it's it's full of precious stones it's full well, of little pearls of wisdom isn't it thank and you. and um very easy to read it's it's not really very complicated at all it really is um you know what it is i think that you re you know and i like this it's it's you know you go into the explanations of things and i really like the way you do it because it's almost like you're a storyteller you you tell a story right yeah. about that you know the knife for instance, and then in the process, we'd learn how to do it. And yes, it's well, that's the idea because <laughs> yes. that's how we learn. Isn't it? That's how yes. we learn best, I think. It's you know, really, really interesting. It's wonderful. Thank um, you. You, 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 do you have any more books, Lavana? Because we really well, would like to read um, more from you. I have um, a chapter in a book that's coming out kind of about now. Um, it's published by Freehand Press mm -hmm. in the U.S., so wonderful, um, Daniel Shulker. And it's um, an anthology about traditional witchcraft called Hands of Apostasy. Mm -hmm. And I have a chapter in that which is um, 
going into a lot more detail about the use of the mirror and the tides and the yes. two things working together because it's yes. my great passion. Yes. And I'm actually partway through writing my next book at the moment and that is all about the sea and the tides. Great. So it goes into it goes much deeper into those ideas um, than I was able to in a witch's mirror alongside all the other things. So that's what I'm about at the moment. Now, do, do we know the publisher of this book that you're finishing right now? Um, that will that will be Capelban. Okay. I wouldn't say it's quite finished yet, so don't expect it within the next couple of months. But it's that's on the way. Fine. That's fine. That's fine. Would you mind to come back? I'd love to come back <laughs> any time. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Levana Morgan, A Witch's Mirror, The Art of Making Magic. Again, thank you so much, Levana, for accepting our invitation, for being here with us, and to share your so, so generously your wisdom in your book and in this uh, conversation. And well, also, and also um, we do want to read more things from you, so keep thank writing. You. Well, thank <laughs> you, I will, and, and it's been really lovely to talk with you. Thank you so much Thank for being you. on the black Thank chair. Um, um, so uh, I'm just going to finish the the the, the show, um, Levana. Don't go anywhere. I will talk to you in a bit. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Thank All you right. so much. Thank do you. you. Want to, do you want to um, call me back or? Yeah. No. I will. Again. I will. I will talk to you in a minute. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right then. All right. Okay. Bye, -bye. Bye. Thank you so much, everyone, for being here and to listen to us. And